everyone, welcome back to another episode of Persuasion by the Pint. I'm Jonathan Taylor, along with Sean LaCool. I think we have an echo. I think so too. I'm trying to figure out where it's coming from. Let's see. Turn off some mics here. Yeah, I yeah. think we're good. You hear it now? Nope, I think we're better. Oh, uh, you know what? I had one of my other mics open over here that you can't see. And yeah, it wasn't like a regular like echo echo. It was more of a yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So let's try this again. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> Welcome back to Persuasion by the Pint. Sean, today we're going to be discussing, continue our discussion of that great book, Breakthrough Advertising. Fantastic read. We're going to continue our um, devil's advocate conversation on, does this actually work today? We're going to be discussing state of awareness and market sophistication. Yes. Oh. Uh, little nod to uh an email guy up in the northwest who likes to use funny spelling words get your attention yeah so and we're gonna be on that you have to be on the youtube channel to understand that comment we just made (laughs) so that's right you have to see the scrolling ticker yeah um to see our misspelled words, but we, uh, we're going to be talking about that book and then, uh, but before that, we're going to be discussing some interesting, uh, interesting technology in the world of AI that yeah. will blow you away. Yeah. It's um, happening fast. Um, I don't have that video queued up, but <coughs> we'll talk about it. And then, and this also hit has hit mainstream as far as people talking about it. So we'll, it's not just yeah. like the internet marketing and, you know, sales circles. I saw this, I saw a similar thing on CBS. So it's sure. definitely coming fast and we'll, we'll talk about that real quick and then we'll get into the book. But first we're switching it up today on the show. Yes. We're not doing beer because you know, beer sales are down. So we're just <laughs> going to follow the trend. We're not going to think our own thoughts. We're just going to do what the, public is doing and get rid of beer and we'll just drink bourbon instead (laughs) good old-fashioned bourbon yeah and bourbon has exploded over the last 20 years so it has used to be like what 20 you know 10 to 20 bottles in a liquor store Mm -hmm. now there's entire aisles of bourbon oh of course you know it's 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 like everything though right everything has exploded in numbers it's not just kentucky anymore it's like you know used to kentucky was the heartland of yeah, bourbon country, but I guess it's still the case. But you're finding, you know, bourbons, Texas bourbons. You're finding bourbons out of all sorts of areas of the country that you never would have expected. Funny you should mention Texas bourbons. <sighs> Funny I should mention that. <laughs> uh, I've got a. Do we oh, yes, there we go. Um, so on the screen here, I'm showing Iron Wolf Ranch and Distillery. Yep. Um, out in the Texas still country. There's a little town here in Texas, just west of Austin, called Dripping Springs. Mm. And they have become like a, a little uh, bourbon and whiskey, like a distillery type little destination spot. Dozens of distilleries have popped up and breweries and things like that. And then you go a little further west to Fredericksburg and it's wine country. But yeah, just just west of austin there's this whole little distillery uh community popping up with some really good stuff so um today i'm gonna be having i love that logo by the way it's just really cool their bottles are really cool too Uh, and there's a lot of story and 
thinking and marketing behind their their bottles as well. But I'm having this one here, the Hot Scotch. It's a butterscotch whiskey with a blend of Texas peppers for a back end heat. Ooh. A unique sweet and spicy favorite. That's so, a silver medal award winner. It is. Sarah. It is. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And um, check out this bottle. Like they talk about why they did this bottle the way they did it. Mm-hmm. So the rounded top is more like a bourbon or whiskey. I think yeah. no, the square bottom is like a bourbon or whiskey. Right. And the rounded top is more like your traditional spirits, like your vodkas and rums mm-hmm. and things like that. So they did both. But then on the bottom, they had imprinted in the bottom a wolf's paw print. That's awesome. <laughs> um, That's cool. Yeah. And the, the label is like a metal-y kind of label. It's not paper. It's kind of a, yeah. it is, it's, it's a little bit thicker than paper. It's got a metal feel. So what it. do you do? It's hard to get rid of bottles like that. It's just so cool. Know, but you know, I still buy another one. <laughs> That's right. There's always one in the cabinet. You know? <laughs> so. And what you're having, I think I pulled the right one up. Is this correct? That's it. Yeah. A little blade and bow, Kentucky uh, straight bourbon. I've never had this. Um, so it looks good. It comes with a little uh, key. Uh, and I don't know what the... What's so symbolic? I know there's a there's a story behind. Well, they do have key. a five keys club. Have you collected all five keys? We are now able to. Oh, okay. This is a brand in all fifty states. Visit the five keys club page. There we go. So apparently, there's five keys. Let's see. Uh, well, I'll start one. I've got my first one. There you go. So apparently, there's five. <laughs> I don't know what happens when I get all five. Do I? It's like all the the rings or. Yeah. <laughs> You become a valued customer, apparently. Something trained. You, your your uh, lifetime customer value goes up. That's oh. what happens. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about the the keys. I'll have to look into that. Doesn't really say much on uh, here about the keys, other than the club, which I guess you have to go to a whole nother page. Oh yeah, you got to sign up for it. Good way to collect. Oh, okay. Good way to collect info right there. Little direct response going on. Yep. Not a bad idea. So not bad. At I'm all. reading the side of the bottle and it says, of course, I almost need reading glasses for this, Sean. It says the five keys of Blade and Bow once hung on the front door of the iconic uh Stiltzer Weller distillery. Hmm. These heavy brass keys represented the five steps of crafting bourbon uh-huh. and symbolize the art of making the world's finest whiskeys got it there you go i don't buy into any of that but that sounds cool good story <laughs> it's a great story next thing you know smile will write an ad about how to make beer and use like clean bottles and stuff that's right dirty bottles that's right claude hopkins would be proud yes so all right uh, whatever it takes right all right well let's cheers it up Cheers. Using my carpenter's cup. Got to show off this this bad boy here. Mm-hmm. The drink of champions. Woo! <laughs> I forgot how much heat that has. Woo! Wow. That's perfect for my sore throat still. My, my slight. It's the spot. Oh. It's like a really good cough syrup. Yeah. That's what it tastes like. Because it's, it's definitely thicker than like a straight bourbon because it's got some sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's got that pepper back end. Uh, 
That sounds really good. A little butterscotch good. and pepper. And by the way, check this out. You can now buy from the store, Jonathan. You can have Iron Wolf in your home. What? Maybe. Let's see. Can you get it in Tennessee? Yes, they will ship to Tennessee. Fantastic. So I will send you the link. Uh, I'll drop it in your text right now as we're perfect. Speaking. Technology, man, we can get you anywhere you want in just seconds. Um, speaking of technology, well, first of all, I guess we should rate these. We haven't rated it. We missed a couple ratings. I know in a couple episodes. <clears throat> oh, by the way, I'm this year. I am starting the process of adding our ratings to the show page after. After six years of doing yeah. this show, <laughs> well, you got to leave some room for improvement. You know, right. I mean, you can't come out the gate perfect. You know, that's right. Yeah. It, it just, you know, you got to leave room, a little room for growth and innovation. Right. <laughs> I like it. Um, so our ratings will be published is, uh, you know, so they'll be open to the public from here on out. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> we should have an app or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Only there was an app to rate beers. That's That'd right. Be cool. Hmm. I could have been logging all these beers all this time, and I never got an app. <laughs> I probably drunk more beers than anybody on the apps. Different. Beers. I know. I know. Seriously. You know, it's like surely. <clears throat> I mean, I bet there's not many people in America that have had 300 plus different craft beers. It's yeah. We it's we've got to be a small in, number. Pretty pretty small company there, Sean. Yeah. What is the uh, what is the um, most famous the famous the more famous app is um, Beer Advocate. Yeah, yeah. Beer. Well, that one. Oh, that's the magazine. That's I don't a, remember. If if you just look up like beer rating apps, it's probably whatever comes up first. Yeah. Um, let me just type in. There was beer. one. Uh, I know that I used. I used to have a client of mine that used to use this app. Every time he would go out, he would, I mean, he took this thing seriously. He would log every one. It was almost like a game. Yeah, untapped. That's it, untapped. Yeah, it was a game to him. So every time he would, he he looked for a new, a, a new beer just so he could log it in. That's hard um, to do unless you travel a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, it's hard to yep. get, but it's it's easier now, but. Yep. Um, yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and rate. I honestly don't know how to. Um, it's hard to rate. I mean, it, it's good. I don't know what to, qualifications. Not that we're, you know, we're all that, you know, we're not super experts when it comes to beer either. But uh, I just say, you know, if I like something, it's smooth, it tastes good. Yep. Uh, this tastes just like any other good bourbon that I would have. So I guess I would give it a, um, I guess I'll give it a four. I'll give it a four, two, okay. four, two. All right. Well, I'm going to give this a 4.9 because yeah. it is, obviously it's flavored. So it falls in a different category, Yeah. but I give it a 4.9, almost a five for originality. Okay. And the fact that it's got that sweet and spicy, you know, it's not like Jack Daniels honey that's just sweet or just a hot scotch, which is, you know, mostly, uh, or, um, excuse me, that is what this is, is called hot scotch, but not like a cinnamon or a fireball or something like that where it's all, you know, spice. Mm -hmm. This is a nice balance between the two. Okay. And 
for that reason, just on originality alone and good flavor, yeah, I'm going to give it a 4.9. Ooh, teetering on the edge there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like you can't give flavored whiskey a five, you know? I think that's yeah. just sacrilegious. <laughs> so I'm going to hold, hold out. And, and see, at the same time, I don't know, you know, outside mm-hmm. of something that's more distinguished, you know, I don't know if it's my palate or maybe I just need to read up on stuff more to um, be able to distinguish this bottle from a bottle of, uh, you know, Elijah Craig or or something else. Four you know, it's just, but there's a huge now, four difference. roses. I can tell a difference in four right. roses. It's got a it's very got a floral. Yeah, yeah. It's very distinct. So if you can start to notice like <clears throat> that and then you, you get your like the, the aged bourbons and whiskeys tend to be more s- smoky, right? Yeah. That's right. So the more expensive they get, they tend to be actually smokier because yep. it takes longer to age them. Yeah. Um, I had the which I actually uh, like the less smoky. I don't like the super smoky. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan either. I had the the Woodford Double Oak over the holidays, mm-hmm. and um, you know, a too much smoke, right? Yeah, a little too much there. Too too much. Too much char. Say too much oakiness in it for me. Yeah. I'd I'd rather just have a regular. Yeah, it's you know, like over, reserve. it's like overcooking your burger. You know, you start to taste the char instead of the burger. Yeah, yeah. Right? You don't want that. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I totally get it. Well, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about AI a little bit, just real quick, and then we'll okay. get into breakthrough advertising, chapters right. two and maybe three if we're lucky. Um, so I sent you a, a video last night, and it's, I saw one of my friends on Facebook, Jeff Hunter. He's a uh, He's an AI consultant. He jumped on this early mm-hmm. and hard. You know, he he helps people set up AI personas, all kinds of cool stuff that he's doing with AI. Right. And he sent out a video yesterday where he actually looked a little surprised <laughs> and a little like, oh my God, like what what's what have we unleashed here? You know? Um, and he's a he's a big AI fanboy. He's making a lot of money off AI. Yeah. And even this seemed to give him a little bit of pause. Now, I don't know if it's acting. I don't know if it's, you know, for drama or for whatever. Um, but it feels like this hit him a little harder yeah. um, than it had in other things. So basically what he did is he played on this video um, a recording of where you can set up your own call center using AI. Now, with this, you obviously have to have a pretty good a bit of information for the AI to draw off of, like your FAQs, your rules, your procedures, a lot of that kind of stuff. Right. Which you probably have if you have a call center, right? Because you don't want call center people just making this stuff up. So right. you probably already have that. So it's specifically more for call center people, um, but it could be used for a lot of different things. This thing sounded, other than there was a lag when he asked a question, other than that, I thought this sounded the most like a person of any AI I've heard so far. Yeah, it's it's scary. It's really scary. And it was not only like answering was questions like, what? well, it was cl- it was trying to close the sale. The entire every question, every answer ended with a closing question. Like it would, and it would never get tired. It didn't get frustrated. It, you know, I think at the end he said. Um, this AI tool could a- answer 1800 calls at the same time, 24 hours a day, 
and it was about $5,000 to set up and a, maybe a thousand or $2,000 a month. So you're looking at $30,000 a year, which is less than an entry level employee. It's crazy. And it could answer 1800 calls at a time and never deviate, never, you know, never get tired, never cop an attitude, never call in sick. Like, you know, uh, and he made the point, like the entire Philippine economy may have just got hit hard because that's where a lot crushed. Of yeah. So, so do you want to, I actually Bluetooth this in, in on my phone. Do you want to let our listeners like hear a little snippet of this? Just, yeah. Cause we just, we just made a pretty big bold <laughs> claim. So maybe we should just let them hear it. All right, here we go. Hey there, uh, my name is Jeff and I am an AI consultant and I'm looking for some solutions I can offer my clients for like some inbound, outbound voice, possibly customer support. Is that something you can help me with? Hey Jeff, totally, that's right up our alley. So you're looking for AI solutions for voice calls, right? Like for both taking care of customers calling in and also reaching out to folks? What kind of businesses are your clients running? Just so I can get a better picture of what we're looking at. Well, most of my clients have like brick and mortar businesses, but a lot of them are online business owners. Uh, I'd actually say the majority of them are like digital marketing agencies, uh, coaches and consultants. Let's just start with that. Oh, cool. Digital marketing agencies, coaches and consultants, huh? They must be super busy with calls and stuff. So our AI can totally help with that. We can handle the appointment setting, answer FAQs, and even follow up on leads for them. Plus, we can do it in a bunch of languages. Does that sound like something that could make their lives easier? Absolutely. I think that's good. Um, other than the lag. Yeah, right. There's a little bit of pause. Yeah. Um, there. So you see know where it's happening. It's processing. Yeah, they'll obviously fix that pretty quick, even if they just... Yeah you know, figure out how to put a filler word in there yeah, or something. Hey, you know, where he's like, hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, Let me think about this. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm just repeating. Like he's, you know, it was repeating back. It could just repeat back a little faster. So you're asking blah, blah, blah. Yeah. At the same time, it's, you know, processing the answer. But the way it, it like repeated back the key points and then it asked for more information and then it asked a closing a confirmation type question. Yeah. This went on for a good five minutes and it was flawless. He tried to throw it a couple curveballs, <laughs> change, you know, change the type of business. Right. And it just, it just picked up, man. It was just like crazy. Well, then I was, uh, last Sunday I was watching CBS Sunday morning, uh, you know, cause I'm old and that's what <laughs> old people do on Sundays. Um, that's where you get your news. Yeah. And, um, for a while there it got super political. It, it kind of, they kind of toned it back down a little bit, which is nice because I almost stopped mm-hmm. watching. But anyway, yeah. they had a segment on call centers. Okay. Um, theirs was a was not quite as like as crazy as that. They were kind of trying to take the middle a little bit of the middle road. Um, like they didn't want to scare too many people. But the fact that it made it to a mainstream, you know, morning news show was pretty telling. Sure. Uh, and they they kind of ended it with AI will help make call center employees lives easier is how they ended it 
Um, when I mean, the fact is it's going to replace 80%. Yeah. And the, the top 20% will get to stay and like answer the right. human only questions for now. Yeah. But they set up like a, a fake CBS, CBS airlines is what they called it. Okay. Set it up. And he started asking it questions about flights and about, you know, carry ons and can I bring a service animal, uh, all that kind of stuff. And it just like sounded, sounded human. That one had no delay. Um, I don't know if they edited it out, um, but it's really, really convincing and very, you know, very calm. Uh, and that's the thing, like, you know how, Jonathan, you're in sales, you know, you can feel somebody's when they start to get a little upset, no matter what their words are. Right. You can feel that tone and that energy on a call. Yeah. And that's oh, one thing you'll never get, you know, to, you know, some people would say, well, that's why it'll never work because it's not human. It doesn't have that stuff but the fact is i think in these situations that actually makes it more powerful than a human because it doesn't have that it's not going to overreact yeah somebody calls in upset right you know yep um now that could upset some people yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. <clears throat> but i think for the most part i mean it's scary how how good that that one we listened to yeah it was very calm and uh collected i mean completely just you know outside of the delay no sh you know no um didn't shake it whatsoever i mean all the questions yeah. he answered right away and if you actually listen further into that he asked him very some very specific questions regarding uh some very niche markets like i think he was talking like um like dog grooming a dog grooming service yeah and you know the ai started answering questions specific to that and was talking in terms of that specific business that you can bring and even unprompted coffee. like yeah. yeah even unprompted was kind of he kind he it understood yeah. he, it understood that what would be required in a dog grooming business a front yes. desk like it, it it inferred some stuff that he did not say right that the caller right. did not say right it, mm -hmm. it, it understood the context of the, a dog grooming business would probably have a front desk receptionist would have appointments would have all this exactly. stuff and it just inferred all that mm -hmm. like, automatically yeah which is pretty pretty <laughs> amazing yeah. um, this reminds me too of our conversation with uh uh gulliver the thor the sales warlord mm -hmm. uh, back in yeah. the day you know he was saying how they're using AI more to analyze human salespeople, but he, he also said that this is coming. Um, yeah. and here it is. So and I know some sales places are already using this as their sales teams. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell anybody about it. Right. Right. And I would, I would personally use a service like this, even, you know, you have to embrace technology or you're either afraid of it or you embrace it. And so, you know, I'm already thinking last night as I'm listening to this, on one hand, it's like, wow, this is crazy. Uh, but I don't think of it in terms of, you know, a replacement type thing. I, I think of it in terms of, man, I could utilize a tool like this. Um, yeah. You know, think of, think of a, a, you know, a person that wants to focus their time on the quality of leads, you know, on the big quality, mm -hmm. uh, the pre-qualified people or companies that you're dealing with that have certain metrics that you need to, to know, and you don't have to waste your time. So you've got a AI service 
that's out there qualifying each one of those, making those calls automatically. And then you're really dealing from a, from more of a consultative level, which personally, that's what, that's where my skill set lies. And I hate cold calling. I absolutely yeah. hate it. Well, there's so much emotion and resistance and all that <laughs> stuff right. um, to cold calling. I, don't, I mean, yeah. unless you're just, you know, one of those guys that just thrives on that stuff. But I don't know anybody that actually, I mean, you go back <laughs> to the movies like Boiler Room or. Yeah, um, it's. It's brutal. Like, it is. Cold it is. calling is. <clears throat> and I don't. One of those things that humans, I don't think are designed for. No, no, it's, it's, it's not. And so I, you know, I've never, I avoid cold calling as much as possible. I try to use direct mail, email to, um, you know, to prompt responses or to at least get some familiarity in front of someone, uh, before, you know, any, you know, even making a phone call yeah. and trying to build lead gens that way. But I'll tell you, this is like, this could cut down the time frame or the, the amount of work and the time that goes into sifting, you know, through, you know, X, Y, Z, or uh, so many, so many companies out there that fit your criteria, but you have to narrow. There's some companies out there that you just have to have, you waste a lot of conversation only to realize they don't fit the criteria. Right. I mean, and, if you were to do... You know, uh, I'm thinking back to my list days, you know, was there like 34 or 35 million small businesses in the U.S.? Yeah. Something like that. Sounds right. <laughs> so even if you were to niche that down and, and you know, got down to a list of 50,000, let's say. Yeah, right. You're never going to cold call all those people. No, of course not. Right? Because even if you cold called the first thousand, you're probably busy for the next six months if you actually right. did that. You know, mm -hmm. 10,000, depending on your, yep. your niche stuff. Because then you start getting busy servicing the people that you met, and then you stop cold calling. That's just yeah. how, how it tends to work. Unless you've got, you know, like in Boiler Room, where you have a senior rep that you pass the calls off to. Right. Um, and you just get back on the phones. But the Absolutely. fact is, like, uh, you know, most people aren't going to do that. So, if you know, you could go through that list. Of course, that's kind of what robocalls do, but this just takes it to another level um, because it could ask better questions. It could get better responses and all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But here's yeah. the question, Jonathan. So you said you might as well use AI, right? It, you know, don't fight it, use it. Yeah. And I was reading another article last night and it was one of the, you know, one of the, you know, big AI guys who probably was it, I think he was with DeepMind <laughs> at Google and some of the other stuff. And he was given a warning about AI and how, you know, it's going to take a lot of jobs. And Every and I've seen a lot of these articles, right? And every single one of them, without exception, that I've read so far, they're like, "Yeah, I left Google, or I left wherever, OpenAI, whoever," mm -hmm. um, because I I just see the dangers and I don't agree with what they're doing. And then at the end of the article, or somewhere in the article, say, "Now he's a founder of blah 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 AI." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. <clears throat> right because like he's gonna do it better you know and like just erase the threat. His moral compass is is uh shifted a little there i guess i don't know it's like it you see the dangers of it and you can see how it could replace people yeah but it's so powerful like you can't ignore it and you'd be stupid to not at least try to take advantage of it but then right. are you feeding the beast are you feeding the machine yeah by doing that you know 
But if you try to take an idealistic stand, you're just going to get left behind and wiped out. So like, how do you, I don't know that you do. I don't, I don't think you can just kind of stand by and see what happens. I think you have to have to adapt. And I think that's what all these guys are doing, but it is like this weird, you know, it's, I kind of feel that way with social media, but this is, this is so much more powerful than social media really is. Yeah. You know, like I have the little bit of conflict with social media, like, uh, people are wasting time on social media. So if you put out content, are you feeding the machine that makes people depressed and lonely and all that kind of stuff? Right. Right. Um, I feel like that has more of an off button than what we're about to build and create with AI. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, um, and companies are slow to at least, you know, tech companies aren't slow, but you know, other companies, other industries are going to be slow to embrace or slow to make this. So I think people have, depending on what industry you're in, you have time to get behind it and understand it, but simply denying it and simply just trying to avoid it or not dealing with it without learning more about it and how you can utilize it. Like I'm already learning, not from this standpoint, but I'm already uh, incorporating some AI technology into my even legion for within my company, you know, being able to pull leads um, using AI software. And I'll talk about, well, I won't talk about that on this episode, but maybe next on the next couple of episodes, I'll mention that because I'm working with a company that um, they use AI for um, really, I mean, accurately pulling out, like if you're trying to locate like, um, and it's mainly for B2B, Mm -hmm. but if you're trying to locate that person that you need to be in touch with, like, it's difficult. I mean, you go on LinkedIn, you know, you're not going to have, you know, you're trying to connect with people on LinkedIn, but some people don't stay on LinkedIn. But if you want to, if you're looking to, to pinpoint the ideal person that you need to talk to within an organization, whether it's the president, uh, whether it's the sales manager, whether it's the purchasing person, you can go to that website and you can click on and use this AI software and just get every, like the whole directory in front of you in, instantly. Wow. Um, you know, and it rivals to me, you know, I've used like Zoom Info and, and tools like that in the past. They've been around forever. Those are outdated because they don't update those on a regular basis. This is, this technology is like instantly. I mean, it's like, wow. Um, and it's at most of it's accurate. Cause I've tested some of these. We've had some CEOs in the past on our show that, that use, I would say, I wouldn't call them scraping like type softwares, but they utilize LinkedIn. This is, this is completely different <laughs> to, um, to pull the information and I can get, I can get cell numbers. I can get, I can get emails and all types of information, uh, of the people that I'm trying to reach out to in an instant using software. So wild. I'll, I'll embrace it any day if it helps me improve or helps, uh, give me an edge at the end of the day. It's kind of like that old saying adapt or die. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and you know, like I totally understand the, the argument that, you know, whenever new technology comes historically, it has proven to create more jobs, not take away jobs. Yeah. But for what, you know, and I've been, you know, you and I are, you know, over 50, like we understand that we've seen a few trends, right? We saw the, we saw the first version of the internet come on social media, like all this stuff. 
this to me just feels different. Mm -hmm. Yep. It just feels more like replacement than anything else we've had yeah. in the past. Yep. And I know the guys, you know, with horse and buggies felt that way about cars and, but this, you know, just the people had to make the cars. Like it just doesn't take that much to make AI. No. You know, it's not like an, an industrial change or a big tech change making computers. Like, yeah, there's cloud servers and there's going to be people doing all that. Um, but man, a lot of, even a lot of that can be self-sustained with AI. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, it'll be interesting. I think you, being a cloud, you know, being a server technician is probably good. Uh, yeah. Or someone absolutely. who manufactures servers. Right. It's probably a, it's probably a really good business to be in because that's. And, and if you're, I would say this, if you're in a position, if you're in, if you're in like phone sales where that's like, you're in like in home, like, you know, you're making cold calls on a regular basis. You know, most of what I do is consulting. So, yeah. you know, there's an, there's an aspect where I can say, well, how safe am I, you know, from a standpoint that a lot of what I do relies on in-person communication, technical expertise and in, in coming and evaluating, um, troubleshooting, and then a relationship aspect where customers are looking for relationship. Obviously, relationship plays a big part of what you're doing because at the end of the day, you know, a lot of, you know, the companies you're working with, it's all about who you, if they know, like, and trust you. And uh, can you develop that from uh, a, a software? <laughs> Give it time. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Hey, you know, <laughs> Max Headroom was hosting MTV videos, put some, put some VJs out of work. That's right. And that was 50 years ago or however long. Right. I don't want to talk about how long ago that was. Yeah. Um, so but yeah. it's, 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 you know, we talk about, you know, college football on here cause we're both college football fans, but it's yeah. like, you know, I watched, you know, Nick Saban's been in the news the last couple of weeks because he retired. Yeah. Well, people say that, you know, one of the things that drove him out of coaching was a lot of change that's going on, namely, you know, uh, NIL deals and players wanting to get paid and, um, you know, everything that's the whole shifting landscape of, of college football today. Right. It's happening. So, um, but I've heard other coaches out there that say, obviously it's, there's no, I mean, it's here to stay. So you are either embrace it where you are or you get left behind. And some yeah. people get left behind. Some people say, you know what? I'm done. I'm taking my money and I'm cashing out and leaving. So well, that's the thing. Like if, if I had the money, you know, <laughs> heck, I might decide the same thing and just go pick up art or something, you know? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But for those of us that have to continue working, it, yep. it's, it is something where you're like, Maybe I need to embrace this, make as much money as I can in the next five to 10 years. Right. Um, and I also, That's I would also say, what are people, you know, the, the old Jeff Bezos question, like what's not going to change in 10 years. And I think one thing that won't change is people will want human contact. Absolutely. I think it'll be different than, cause there's already like AI boyfriends and girlfriends have mm -hmm. like popularity has gone through the roof already. Like if you really dive into that wormhole, you'd be surprised how effective and how yeah. passionate humans are about having these AI boyfriends and girlfriends. Like it's, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, but with that said, I think there's an opportunity for more 
in-person events. Um, I think, um, you know, coaching, for instance, you know, in my, in my world, I think more in-person coaching and experiences, we've talked about experiences before on the show. Mm -hmm. I think experiences will, will be important moving forward festivals, all that kind of stuff. Community people long for community and how they're going to be able to afford that. I don't know. know, Maybe it's universal (laughs) basic income. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, and it also it obviously will depend on how quickly or how severely things start getting regulated mm-hmm. as jobs start disappearing. Yeah. It's gonna force yeah. legislators to start being like, whoa, like, you know, they're either gonna have to tax the corporations and give that money back mm-hmm. in a form of some type of universal basic income, or they're gonna have to slow the whole thing down. Yeah. And I don't know which it's gonna be. Uh, right. But that yeah. that seems to me the inevitable outcome of where we're headed. So, yeah. All right. So we've talked 37 minutes on everything, but breakthrough advertising, <laughs> so we should probably deliver on our promise of uh, talking about breakthrough it's, advertising. it's actually a pretty good lead in though. Cause we're talking about change. Okay. Do and the segue. So, there you go. Yeah. The segue is that, you know, we're talking about how to embrace change. You know, we mentioned last week, breakthrough advertising. This was written back in the, uh, what is it? Late sixties. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Um, so are these, are these principles and are a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today on, uh, you know, channeling desire, you know, in the 21st century today in, uh, 2024, is that going to work the same way yeah. as it did back then when this book was originally written? And to some degree, I would say absolutely, because, you know, you can make bold claims, now, I will say, I will give the caveat that on social media uh, today, you have to give, be very careful about making <laughs> bold claims. It depends on the type of bold claim, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'll get you'll get axed in a heartbeat on uh, Facebook ads or, or whatever. You'll get your account shut down. Yeah, definitely but, if you're talking paid advertising, for sure. Yeah. Unless it's clearly, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about this before too, unless it's clearly hyperbole where you're really going over the top, with like a dollar shave club type commercial or, you know, an old spice type commercial, then you can get away with more stuff mm-hmm. um, because it's obviously hyperbole and as cheesy as those things are, they do work. Right. Uh, as we've talked about previous episodes. Yeah. Real quick, before we get into chapter two, um, okay. I wanted to, I just happened to hear a stat this past week, um, kind of in the, the idea of mass market desire, mass market, thinking Mm -hmm. and things like that um and that was that back in the 70s early 70s um or whenever mash remember the the tv show mash oh yeah loved it some of our younger listeners may not remember but that was usually our bet i've seen some stuff on instagram or tiktok lately it's like they'll play the theme song to mash and that was usually like gen xers bedtime when that song came on (laughs) we weren't allowed that was like nine o'clock Right? Yeah, so we time to go to bed. Time to go to bed. Yeah, um, you watch the Muppets show, and then mm-hmm. I think Mash or something else came on. Right? Yeah, um, but this was an interesting. I heard somebody talking about this, and I don't remember who it was, so I can't give them credit. But they were talking about how they're not sure that there'll ever be like this mass consciousness that there used to be when there was only three te- TV stations. <laughs> yeah. So, as an example, and they use this as an example, 
the final episode of MASH had 105 million viewers for that episode. Now, if you don't really know viewership, that's a lot. That's about what the Super Bowl gets every year. Right. For for context. Yeah. But let's let's bring it up to today. TV shows. Breaking Bad (laughs) averaged 4.2 million per episode. Yeah. So one twentieth, less than one twentieth, one twenty-fifth of what MASH got. Yeah. So the the consciousness, the people talking about like a trend or things like that, we think things are trendy or viral now, mm-hmm. but in fact, they're far less trendy and less viral than they were 40, 50 years ago. Right. Right. Cause there was less yeah. to choose from. Oh, absolutely. And that stuff back then lasted longer. Yep. Um, so if you can imagine breaking bad or Ga- game of Thrones times 2025, 20, mm-hmm. that's how much something seeped into the culture. 40 or 50 years ago compared to now. Yep. Um, So I think that's a big thing that's changed with like mass desire and thing. Of course we talked last week about there's some core things that don't change, but when you're talking about product trends or pop culture trends, they were much stronger back then than they are now, even though they seem really strong, we forget how strong they were back then. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so I just wanted to bring that up. So yeah, let's move into uh, chapter two talks about, the actual title of chapter two is your product, your prospects state of awareness, mm-hmm. how to capitalize on it when you write your headline. Now there's way more in this than, than headlines yeah. uh, in this chapter. This chapter is um, like 30 or 40 pages. Just this chapter. I think it's maybe 20. I don't I looked at both these chapters this, this week. Um, yeah. It goes from, 13 to 36. So yeah. Yeah. Um, here's my first things about this. The state of awareness, I think is one of the biggest and most misunderstood by most marketers, Mm -hmm. uh, especially new marketers and even some very seasoned marketers. I can think of a few that I worked with that I tried to get this point across. They, it just never clicked for them. And these people tend to be really good at making like direct offers to a warm or hot list, but they're not great at cold traffic offers. Right. And I, and, and he does not talk about whole cold or hot or warm traffic in the book, but that's what we would call it today. Yeah. I think he talks about people who are most aware of your product. He talks about people who are, you know, knows of your product, but doesn't yet want it. That's really hot traffic, cold traffic, warm traffic. You know, it could be organic versus paid. So we have a lot of terms today, um, hot, warm, cold, organic, paid. Right. That he didn't really use in this book because those weren't, those just terms weren't used much, but he used the idea of states of awareness. So if you're trying to understand states of awareness, that's, that's part of it. How well do they know about you, your product? Uh, the problem category that your product solves, not necessarily your product and on and yeah. on. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's something that people miss and people can be really good at selling their product to a certain audience, but then they yeah. try to scale yep. and they can't understand why their ads don't scale, why their 
why they're, you know, their advertising, their messaging doesn't scale. <laughs> right. They're not talking to the same person anymore. That's right. Totally different audience. Totally different. You know, we've, we talk about golf a lot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, selling a golf club, a driver to a golfer is pretty straightforward. Like, yeah, they like to try new things. They like, you know, mm -hmm. to have the newest and latest to help them improve their game. Right. But if somebody's never played golf and you want to bring them into the sport of golf and you want to sell them a driver, so that's the first driver they ever use when playing golf, that is an entirely different ad and headline. Right. You know, and that's, that's very hard work. That's one thing Agora did really well was bring new investors into the market that were just coming on. We always said when I worked at Agora, the newsletter <laughs> business, financial newsletter business, that person that we were looking for was somebody who had been investing. They'd been putting money in the stock market, probably mutual funds, 401k. They had a broker, probably a buddy at the, you know, local club or somebody they knew brother-in-law or whatever. Right. But at some point they get frustrated that they're just kind of barely keeping up with the market, sometimes not even beating the market. Yeah. Then they start looking for alternatives and that's where Agora would show up. Yeah. And they would bring those people into the market. So they were already investors, but they had no idea this whole newsletter world existed. <laughs> right. They didn't even know all, they didn't even know you could invest on your own without a broker or without a yeah. whatever. Right. Because that industry makes sure that you think that the, you think that's the they're only needed. way to do it. Absolutely. There's the, there's only one way. So they're really, they were really good at expanding their market and taking those people who were non, um, I wouldn't say non-investors, but non-self-directed investors, right. Mm -hmm. And turning them into self-directed investors. And I, you know, so that'd be like taking a non-golfer and turning them into a golfer. Right? Yeah. Or maybe, because maybe they played sports, maybe they played tennis, but then now you're going to turn them into a golfer. Yeah. Right. That's a much bigger ask than just selling an already existing golfer, a new golf club. And that's the, yeah. That's Cause the you're, difference. you're talking different lingo. You're not shaving. Right. They don't care about shaving, uh, strokes off of their, uh, off their game. All they care about is not being embarrassed when they go out for the first time and, you know, on the fairway with some of their buddies or with a client, you know, like, yeah. I don't want to look like an idiot. Yeah. So what's going to help me? <laughs> what's going to keep me from looking like an idiot? And that's why some of the, the highest paid copywriters and marketers in the world are people that can take cold traffic. Yeah. We don't know anything about your product, even your niche and take them from, um, you know, from not even thinking about the problem yeah. to realizing they have a problem and buying the product in 15 to 30 minutes. Absolutely. Maybe 45 yeah. minutes, you know, yeah. with a long VSL. Um, so, yeah. Cause ultimately it's human psychology and it boils down to what is your fear? Yeah. <laughs> what is your, either your dream or your fear? It typically, a lot of times, unfortunately, a lot of times it falls on the fear side of things uh, that, that works best, especially if you're new, if you're dealing with new, I guess, Sean, would that be right? If you're dealing with new people, that you're bringing in yeah. Um, cold. I mean, you know, you're playing on fears a lot of times with these people. A lot of times. Yeah. Cause you've got to shock them out yeah. of their, out of their complacency. Mm -hmm. Like they don't even know they have a problem until you, until you tell them, I mean, Dan Kennedy talked about this before. It's like, <laughs> you know, 
like in, in the in the fire like if you were sitting in the kitchen you know and, and your neighbor comes to your back door and he's banging on the glass <clears> and he's trying to get your attention because he sees that your front porch is on fire right yeah you know he, he could take a very like you know uh like he could send you a letter in the mail that says fire extinguishers 25 percent off mm -hmm. if you don't know your front porch is on fire that's right you don't care that's right so he's yeah. got to do something more you got to set the stage yeah exactly and, and get your attention that's kind of like the end of you know we talked about the end of america that that ad that did super well back in the last great recession yeah that played i don't know how how long that thing played um or that thing that ad campaign ran but it was highly su successful like i would expect yeah i got a dog barking in the background <laughs> but that you i mean that the, the end of america is like first you got to draw draw people in what end of america right like what is going on here and yep. then they they have to understand the what's going on with the market what's going on with the shifting uh, landscape of, of, and how that's going to affect their portfolio. And, you know, they've got to, you know, they've, there's gotta be some foundation laid for those people before they have an understanding. And this is a great example too, because even with that, and even with that being one of the most successful promotions of the last 20 years, because I think it was 2010, yeah. um, last I heard they had done about 600,000, 700,000 subscriptions buyers, right? So you think about this, this thing was crazy popular mm -hmm. and yet they only had 700,000 new subscribers, which is, don't get me wrong. That like is, that's good. It, yeah. it took the business from, you know, a $50 million business to a, you know, multiple hundred million dollar business. Like yeah. it's, it's a huge deal. But the fact is, um, Oh, I know what it is. The roofers just stopped by because now I hear them on the roof. <laughs> oh, so the dog is like, gotcha. Telling me that someone's trying to break into our house. <laughs> doing his the job. Roofers. Yeah. He's doing good, his job. Good boy. Yeah. He, he looks scared to death sitting in my chair right now. But, uh, <laughs> so um, if you hear the dog barking, that's yeah. what it is. We'll try to tone it down in the edits. But, um, but yeah, you know, so that just goes to show that even if you get a, like a, a smashing success, Mm -hmm. it's still probably only going to hit 5% of the market. Yeah. Like you're not going to convert a hundred percent of any market ever. Like, I mean, if you do, congratulations, you know, yeah. build whatever mansion you want, buy a yacht because you know, that's, it's pretty amazing. Um, so yeah. So let's get into some of the, the, the specific techniques and tactics. We kind of talked a little bit of theory here. Um, one thing he said is, you know, that's worth repeating is, the headline, you know, the headline and its only job is to get people to read the second sentence of your ad. Yeah. And it's got to be the people. So you, ideally, if you have an ad campaign, you're launching something, the first you have to decide, do I even want all five stages of the market? Or, or am I content to just sell to the first stage or the second stage and maybe the third stage, Right. Right. So if I know that I'm only going to sell to people who are familiar with me, which is not a bad, terrible model, right? Um, even with, I know everybody wants to scale to the moon these days. The <laughs> fact is you can have a pretty good business keeping current customers happy and like maybe adding on some new products and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
you do want to bring some new people in, but it's, you know, it's not as crazy as a lot of people make it sound, I think. Right. Um, but you do need two different ads and two different headlines for those different groups. And I think that's important because what you're going to say after that, it's got to capture that person's attention. Mm-hmm. So if people are already familiar with you and your products, you can have a very offer based stuff. You can say, Hey, the new flying drone that follows you around automatically just launched and it's on sale for two forty nine. Right. Yeah. That's all you need to say. Like, right. You're sold. You've been looking for something like that. It's great. Now, if there's people who don't understand that yet, then you're going to have to do a little bit more educating, a little bit more selling. Say, Hey, are you an influencer? Did you right. know that there's a way to, you know, eliminate your video crew or, you know, absolutely cut your video yeah. crew hours down or mm-hmm. have you ever, you know, another angle, have you ever wished you could have your own videographer? Yeah. That'd be a great headline for that, yep. for that tool. Yep. Um, your own you know, personal camera guy, yeah. you know, 24 seven. Yeah. Uh, for the cost of about, you know, for the cost of, um, you know, one day's shoot or something like that. Right. Um, so yeah, then you, and it obviously it gets further and further out. So the headlines are super important. Um, so I want to mention too, while we're yeah. on the headline, cause you sent me something this week and maybe we can talk about that. Yeah. Cause um, he gets into that later in the chapter, but I, I know where yeah. you're going. So go ahead. They laughed when I, you know, we know the famous and we've talked about this many times. They laughed when I sat down at the piano, <clears throat> but when I started to play, you know, that's been around a long time and there's been variations of that. So you sent mm-hmm. me one this week, Sean, uh, I wish I could pull it up on my, on our screen to show, um, I like, uh, I can't. I don't know if you have the graphic because it's like it's it's actually pretty good. It's pretty good because it uses it even uses like the even the graphics or the image, the artwork is like from the past, you know, of the the ladies who are having a a non-alcoholic. There we go. (laughs) They laughed when I brought non-alcoholic drinks to the party. Then they tried. Then they tried sob and couldn't stop giggling. Yeah. And it's a fifties looking graphic, right? So this is very interesting because in this chapter, one of the things that Schwartz says is he's like, and he actually mentions that story-based ads were very popular in the twenties. And then they started to die out Mm -hmm. and only like comic strips working at the time he wrote this, which was in the sixties. Right. So these type of very long story-based ads you know, they kind of died out. And if you were to see most of them, you may not see them work. Although I've seen a lot of them work still to this day. Um, but by doing this and by, cause he said, what happens is the, the look of the ad gets old and stale. It's not the messaging or even the copy. Mm-hmm. Just people look at it and they're like, Oh, I've seen ads like this before. Right. So if you go over the top, like we were talking about earlier, this is almost a form of hyperbole. Of course. Where you're making fun of the ad itself. Mm-hmm. Uh Oh, can't let stuff pop up while you're while you're doing a live show. I'll close that. Um, I, don't, I don't even know what it is. I thought it was in relation to what we were talking about, but yeah. Um, um, nah, yeah. It's I see where I see where you're, what you're saying there. It's it's um. So you got to almost like let people know. Look, I know this is yeah, an old ad, right? Like an old format. Yep. Um, although in this niche, I'm not sure people would have been familiar with it. 
I doubt but it, it. But it does yeah. say, you know, it does kind of, it's kind of nostalgic and things like yeah. that. Um, so, yeah, I like the way they did that with that. But he does say in this chapter, later on in the chapter, that you need to be aware of that. And sometimes it's just a matter of changing formats, right? So mm-hmm. going from a long form sales letter to a VSL. Yeah. When I was at Agora, that's kind of when a lot of that shift was happening. And I remember when we first ran a VSL and I'd already heard about VSLs through Ryan Dice and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when those came to Agora, you know, they'd been in the internet marketing world a little bit already. A lot yeah. of people think Agora used to lead the way. They were actually not. They were just, just had mm-hmm. the biggest and best lists. Right. With great buyers. Right. But a lot of the ideas that they tested came from internet, the internet marketing world, the Ryan Dices and things like that of the world at the time. John Benson, those guys. Um, I remember when they first introduced the VSL with the exact same copy that they had in, in the long form letters, it would outpull it 10 to 12 times. Wow. Wow. And then after about three years. Yeah. They started. It it went back to about even. Yeah. Right. Cause then people got kind of caught on to it. Then they had to start putting exit pops where people could read instead because they didn't want to sit through a video. Right et cetera, et cetera. And then they got into the more theatrical VSLs where they had actual, you know, B-roll and they had on-camera talking heads. And, you know, it was much more like a documentary or a news show or something like that, right? Like a Larry King advertorial type thing. Mm -hmm. So you have, even if the messaging stays the same and the hook stays the same, one thing he talks about in here is, and this also leads into chapter three with the market sophistication is as the market gets more and more aware of both what you do and their problems, they also get more and more aware of the solutions and how the solutions are presented. Right. That's what market sophistication part of this is. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember Clayton Makepeace used to say a tactic known is a tactic blown. So when people start seeing the same, even format of an ad, they start tuning it out faster. Right. Yep. We've seen, we see this with things like banner blindness, right? Yeah. I mean, you remember Jonathan when like banner ads were the, all the rage in of course the internet, right? Yeah. Just throw up a banner ad and you know, get enough eyes on it. You'll make millions, which was right. kind of true back then. Yeah. I remember we even had in, I think it was, when was that? 97, I think, or 98. We got a free PC from freepc.com. And it was literally the, the P they shipped you a whole entire computer, but on the screen, it had down the left side and across the bottom, it had banner ads. Yeah. They were permanently on the screen. <laughs> and then you had your browser in the middle. Yeah. But that was how they paid for the PC and how they shipped it to you. Yep. And you just had to lock that on there. And then when they went out of business with the dot-com crash, they sent everybody the code on how to get rid of the ads and you got to keep the PC, um, which is kind of cool, but that's crazy. I don't even remember that. I remember like freecar.com, same thing. Like oh yeah. You would, yeah. If you would wrap your car. They would, they would pay yeah. your car payment and that kind of stuff. You had to fill out, you know, you had to work, had to drive a certain number of miles and that kind right. of stuff. But like, where are those deals? You know? We yeah. Need to, we need to bring those back. Um, so yeah, the market, you know, market awareness and market sophistication, yeah. all this plays a huge role Mm-hmm. And deciding what you're messaging in and why your messaging needs to change depending on what part of the market you're talking to. That's sure. the big takeaway. 
Yeah, of course. Any like any stuff in here that like you had highlighted or that you wanted to kind of bring up? Um, let's see. And we're we're on chapter two. Um, two and three. I mean, we kind of. I mean, I could go. You know, I mean, we could teach a month long class on this book. Yeah, I mean, there's so much. I mean, it's just. Um, you know, I've got so much in here highlighted. I would say that, um, you know, markets change, uh, desires change, fashions change, and so do acceptable styles of adverti- advertising. It says at the turn of the century, effective ads were written in verse, like you, like we were just talking yep. about. Yep. Um, Maybe that's where you were getting this from. It is. And in the twenties, most of the most of the great ads were narrative stories, uh, either first person. You ever see the um, what is it? The uh, what's the blue book? Um, Kelly Blue Book. Yes. Yeah. No. 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 The um, the famous blue book with the the letters. Oh, uh, Robert Collier. Letter Robert, Robert Collier. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you want to see some of those early century, I mean, this would go back to like Robert Collier's 30s, like, yeah. Yeah, 20s. This is a great example because that book's filled with like all of those uh, ads from the 20s. And they're like uh, effective. I mean, they're like kind of short narrative stories, um, first person confessions, third person revelations, comic strip, drama, you know, dramatizations. Uh, you know, those were really effective. Um, you could run and even in the, you know, if you ever, if you, I don't know if you ever got comic books, we talked about this before, but uh, a lot of those type ads worked really well in the comic book industry for a long time. They got a lot of pulls, um, but times change and, and the, the, the sands shift, so to speak. I almost wonder if like you went back to some of this stuff, uh, some of this old fashioned, like we were just showing some of this advertising, how effective it would be. I'd be curious on the... Well, you know, it, he does say in chapter three, I believe, uh, if you go to like the end of chapter three, I'm pretty sure that's where he says, uh, once you've gone through the different areas of market system sophistication, it loops back around and you start all over again. Right. So we may very well be at that point um, where that kind of happens. So, yeah, I think, I think so. Like the ads you just showed, I'll bet that, I mean, and, I, and we don't have any knowledge or numbers on that ad for the, uh, no, we can keep seltzer. an eye on it because I can look, keep an eye on their ad library. If it stays running for a while, it, it's probably working. Yeah. Um, so, I, so yeah, I think, it, I think things do come back around. I think you might have to change the format slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just so it's more, then again, I don't know, maybe, maybe the old school look has an appeal, that nostalgic appeal to it, you know, that kind of stuff. You're seeing a lot of even graphics and images, you know, they got really, um, you know, they, you see graphics go in waves where they get really detailed and 3d and then they get just super flat. Yeah. Um, and simple and they'll kind of go through these waves. It's kind of like, right. It's, uh, I can't remember the quote, but, uh, some comedian or actor said something about like, you know, mini skirts, like economy moves up and down with the the length of mini skirts or, or women's <laughs> skirts. Right. Um, 
So it's kind of, it's kind of like that. Like there's these trends that come and go and they're a little bit different every time they come back, mm -hmm. you know, so history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme as yeah. Mark Twain said. Yep. I think that's, that could be true. I think it's definitely worth testing some of these old styles. And I've done that with some of the, the businesses I've been in. Mm -hmm. And I think depending on the market you're in, obviously if you're marketing to internet marketing guys or marketing guys or ad guys, <laughs> they're going to be more familiar and more yeah. less likely. Right. Then they again, see what's they might, going on. Yeah. Less, then again, they might appreciate it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you never, you really can't tell. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about because he talked about, and it's kind of in the same vein where we talk about does what's old still work today, right? We talked about that at the very beginning of the show. One of the debates I hear all the time is long copy versus short copy. Yeah. And people are like, yeah, people, you know, people's attention spans are shorter. It's only six right. seconds, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I, I tend to agree with you that that's true. But if that's true, like anecdotally, right, it seems correct. But then when I think about it, I'm like, no, it's not correct. Because when people get interested in something, especially if they're solving a problem, they'll read 30 blog posts. They'll buy books. They'll read magazines, or, you know, whatever, to find a solution to that problem until they find it. They'll follow 16 different people with newsletters. They'll they'll get they'll follow 20 TikTok accounts that talk about that, right? Mm -hmm. And here's the other thing. If attention spans are getting shorter, why do why does every social platform start with short content and then expand to longer content? Right. Yeah. TikTok started with 60 seconds, then they went to three minutes, then they went to 10 minute videos. Yep. And now they're going even longer. They're testing even longer. Here's why I think that is. When people are surfing and they're numbing out and they're looking for entertainment, they're looking for the quick dopamine hits. But if you get their attention and if they start to like you, then they want to go more in depth with you. Yeah. It's just like if you went to a club and you saw a whole bunch of people there might be the crazy guy at the bar telling jokes that you would listen to for, you know, a joke or two, maybe two or three minutes, but you would never like want to become friends with him. But then there's another guy at the club who like, you just kind of vibe with him and you want to get to know him. You might, you know, invite him, you know, to get coffee or go to a game or something like that later. Cause you yeah. want to get to know that person better. So I think brands and companies need to think of that as the same way. It's not that attention spans are getting shorter. It's that you just have to, you have yeah. to catch their attention in the first place and keep it. And then they'll go with you wherever, however long you want to go. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's kind of the way, you know, that's you, like the principle of copywriting from the get go is like, yeah. Yeah, if you hit people with a, a a headline that captures their attention, you've done a really good job. You know, I mean, headline is like that's that's like the cornerstone. That of, is your that is your like the other the other note I made here on the doc that we had was if attention spans are getting shorter, why did Vine ever go away? Yeah, the six second you know social yeah, media. That's right. Why did that ever go away? Yeah, that's true. That's what people want. Yeah. Why did Instagram lose out to video? I mean, there's nothing less, you know, quicker than a snapshot, right? 
Yep. But people got tired of pictures. They wanted video. They wanted interaction. Mm-hmm. And then it's gotten longer and longer. And now YouTube is, you know, arguably one of the most popular sites out there. Yep. So, so yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I agree with where you were going. Um, yeah. You just got to keep their attention. You know, it's like gray headline. Okay. Next was sub headline. Well, you got to keep yeah. their attention there. Then the opening paragraph. Well, you better keep their attention there. You know, yeah. um, almost like your headline is your 60 second reel. Yeah. Put it in today's language, right. you know, or the funny meme. Mm-hmm. And then your opening paragraph is your 60 second reel. Yeah. And then, you know, you get into some body copy and that's like your right. three minute reel. And then, you know, so, I mean, you could think if, for, for the youngsters out there, that's how mm-hmm. they could think about it. Right. But you're just engaging them all at one time instead of trying to do it scattered out across 50,000 pieces of content with other people's messages shared in between it. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of that too, Sean, is like understanding. I think it, it's understanding what makes good stories, uh, whether you're writing copy or video or what have you, you know, being able to tell engaging stories. Um, there's a book called, you probably read it before. Um, I'm trying to pull up the author, the science of storytelling. Have you read that one? There's so many storytelling books. I know, but this one, this one is not, that one or not. This one's really good. Um, what color is the, is the, uh, it's black will store. I have not read that one. Will store. I remember books by their covers, not by the author's name. And the reason I like, well, the reason I got, I actually, I actually even read this one because you're right. There's a hundred thousand books. It seems like today on storytelling. Um, The reason I like this one, this was one that Joe Vitale had recommended, I guess, years ago. So it's not, it's not like, I don't know, this book's not been out here recently. It's been around for a while, Um, but it's really good. It's like on really, it's on you know, creating a character that people really, um, you know, it's not like the, the, the stuff that everybody gives us nowadays, you got to have a story, you got to have a hero, blah, blah, blah. You know, you just get tired of hearing that this gets into the, um, you know, if you're creating a protagonist, you know, what needs, uh, it's called the science of storytelling will store S T O R R. Yeah. S T O R R. I'm going to bring it up for our um, most dedicated viewers here. There you go. Um, no, it's really good. Listeners. So if you're if you're if you're interested on, and I know you're doing some some writing projects, Sean. If you're interested in how to create a compelling character, I think that's this is a good book to read because it really gets into, you know, some of the points he gets into on creating characters, whether you're writing a fiction or, you know, a novel or you're writing an ad is that people relate to characters that have flaws. Um, and you know, people that are struggling just (laughs) that we can relate to. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically what we've talked about with, you know, Marvel characters. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We don't relate to Superman because that guy's like, He's got it all, all together, but yeah. we relate to, um, you know, we we might relate to his alter, you know, Clark Kent, which yeah. in the original Superman was kind of a goofy dude who, yeah. you know, was kind of corny and nerdy and, 
you know, and then the 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 Spider-Man uh, character, the Peter Parker guy, who's um, you know kind of a, a deals with you know he's an adolescent. He deals with all the problems adolescents, teenagers deal with. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's really engaging in the fact that it talks to you, or it 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 really gives you the formula for what people want when they read, when they're looking to read about a character who they can relate to. And that's what yeah. people, people are looking for characters they can relate to. Yep. Well, if you start reading of... about a guy that has person that has it all together, it's like, oh, <laughs> just yeah. tune out. I mean, it's like, I have nothing in common with this guy. That's why um, a lot of the viral posts it tend to be, you know, very vulnerable. Absolutely. Or, or at least yeah, any very relatable, right? You know, absolutely. even if they're funny and not necessarily like negative or vulnerable, there's something about it that's very relatable. Yeah, I mean, I, I've there, Arnold Schwarzenegger's got a new book out called "Be Useful." I don't know if you've seen about that. You read any of this? But nope. it's it's really he talks about. I mean, it's surprising because in the book he talks about all of his flaws and his, you know, some of his biggest mistakes in life. Um, and a lot of them are like from a personal standpoint, not just from a business standpoint, but yeah. personally, family wise. You yeah, know, just you know big mistake at one after another within his family. But, you know, and that it's, it's engaging because it's, it makes, I think it makes people out there understand um, that he's a relatable character. He's someone that has flaws. He's just not, you know, on a pedestal out there, but. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what we lose with social media. Uh, yep. We were actually talking about that with one of my clients uh, yeah. today is that, you know, people, people are attracted to, if you're willing to admit failure, you know, and yeah. sometimes people are like, you see a lot of posturing around failure on social media where they'll right. talk about failure, but it's only 20 years later or five years later or whatever. Right. Very few people will talk about going through a current failure mm -hmm. and the struggle right. they're going through. Right. Um, you know, Brene Brown got famous for having a breakdown during a Ted talk, you know, mm -hmm. basically. Uh, happening like right then yeah um and while she was talking about vulnerability you know just all all worked yeah um <clears throat> today she'd probably be called a fake and all that and orchestrated and all that but that was i think that happened pre right pre social so pre social yeah. media um so i think it, it's it's getting harder to be vulnerable um yeah. you better be sincere about it yes people will find you out they will oh, find of course you, out, you know absolutely just acting or not so it, it yep. has to be sincere vulnerability yeah um, but yeah you know the the old saying just keeps coming to mind um that which is most personal is most universal yeah yeah and i think that's a from a copy standpoint from a marketing standpoint if you can remember that and you can work in the personal angle uh, it becomes much more universal yeah so. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, I think we can end with that. Um, I mean, we could go super in-depth, but, you know, we're, we're kind of, again, looking at some, trying to look at this with some new angles and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think next week we can cover, you know, probably a couple more chapters. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not going to get into the specific, like, ad examples and things like that. We're more looking at, is this still ap applicable and if not, what's changed? Those kind of those kind of ideas. So we'll start with chapter four. Yep. 
uh, 38 ways to strengthen your headline. So that'll have a little bit more tactics to it. And maybe um, how to make an idea grow chapter five. That, yeah, be, I like be good that one. To, the we'll art skip of chapter four. Cause I think, you know, no, that's, I, I'm okay with that. We'll get into yeah. the art of uh, creative planning, how to make an idea grow. Cause I think yeah. that would be completely relevant. That seems very uh, applicable to our social media world yeah. these days. Yeah. Everybody wants to make an idea grow. Right. Right. Make an idea worth sharing as Ted, Ted talks would say. So we'll, we'll start there and see how far we get. That sounds good. If we're not all replaced by AI. By the time <laughs> Who knows? Eventually, Sean, you and I will just be a couple of AI bots up here. Yeah. <laughs> Deep fakes. You know, just up here doing the show. We'll doing, just feed it the last 339 episodes and it'll just. Uh, yeah. It'll spit recreate out. the whole thing. Yeah, that's right. And we'll just collect the royalties. We'll just collect. Yeah, exactly. We'll be just sitting in the background like, cool. <laughs> keep it up man yeah go ai um yeah that sounds great we'll uh, continue our discussion and um uh i love these i i mean it really does get the uh it gets us kind of thinking um and if you haven't purchased a book we go back to the website that we mentioned before breakthrough advertising book i believe is yep that is breakthroughadvertisingbook.com is that it um because you can't get on Amazon. You got to get it through. Yeah. I mean, this book's only available one place. Right. Breakthrough advertising. I think there's a lot of new stuff on there too. You can get, you mentioned last week. Yeah. If you get the second package, yeah, it's breakthroughadvertisingbook.com. There are yeah. two packages. There's the book only. And then Brian Kurtz, who's been a guest on the show. Mm-hmm. There's a second package that has like ads, all the ads mentioned in the book. Uh, yeah. Let's see what else it has in it. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, and let's see. How-to exercises on how to use each chapter, custom worksheets, uh, chapter summaries, private library of training videos. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Makes me want to rebuy it. Yeah, no kidding. Can we just, can we buy the separate stuff without the book or we have to get the whole thing? Sure, got an affiliate link too, but I'm just not that good at making money on this show from the from the show from the show. So, oh um, uh, well, you can check it out again. BreakthroughAdvertisingBook.com. You can check out our uh, our episode over PersuasionByThePint.com. This is episode three thirty nine, to my knowledge, yep. and uh, we'll uh, see you guys next week. I, I'm assuming you you sent me the email to, to Justin. Is that, that's not, is that next week or the week after, or have we nailed down a time? We have not nailed down because he does uh date day with his wife the whole day on date Fridays. Day. Oh, okay. Date day. Okay. So unless you, so what you and I have to talk off air about your schedule and. Ah, yeah. I have to other days. Move, shift our schedule to accommodate his date day. Yes. <laughs> Okay, I think we can do that. Okay. Get him on. Uh, maybe do it on a Thursday or something. So we'll okay. talk about that off the air. Uh, yeah, so we'll see you all next week. Again, thanks for joining us. Uh, PersuasionByThePint.com. You can find us on all of your podcast platforms, uh, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Leave us five stars. We appreciate it. And we hope you have a wonderful weekend. See ya. <laughs>